Well, I'm going to tell you about our next sermon series. Uh, I'm going to give you a little hint just for a few minutes now. I'm going to take you on a journey of how pastors have to be planning and thinking. And so we went through a significant sermon series last year, and we, we went through the apprenticeship series, went through the Beatitudes, went through, uh, you know, the good and beautiful God, the good and beautiful community, the good and beautiful life. And while we're going through all that stuff, you know, God is planning, God is planning. And for several months now, probably almost a year, I really felt a burden from the Holy Spirit that we need to increase the watermark, the level of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our church. And uh, so then I began to prepare for that because we have to prepare months and months in advance to say, begin to build the series as to what God is doing. Because we're a multi-site church, we have to be planning that kind of stuff as we go forward. And so I started in the book of Acts. This is, I'm just telling you how pastors think. The book of Acts is kind of like the Acts of the church and the Acts of the apostles, and this is where the Holy Spirit is. And I'm reading and I read through it, and I'm kind of like, hmm, this is not quite what the Lord has. Something's missing. So then I said, well, maybe I'll just teach topically on the Holy Spirit, which just means like, you know, talking about him as a member of the Trinity, the personhood of the, of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and building all these different topics on the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's like, no, no, you haven't got it quite yet. Now, so, so I just keep, you know, this is the beautiful thing. Why I'm telling you this is why you should be praying for your pastor, okay? Because he's really thick-headed and he doesn't hear all the time right away. So he, he, the Holy Spirit's very patient with him. And so I, I have a habit, and my habit is I like to read through at least one or two of the Gospels every summer. So every summer I will turn into the Gospels just for personal reading, and so that way I go through the Gospels quite, quite often, which I think is an important habit to do. Um, and so I started reading Luke, and it was like a light bulb came on in my mind. It was like the Lord said, you're on, you're on track here. So I'm going to ask you a question. Ready for, here's your, here's your theological question. Now those of you that were in the first service, don't, don't tell the answer. I know, they're all like, I know this answer. Um, who is the largest writer of the New Testament? Paul. So, <laughs> don't say anything. I'm, I'm finishing my Masters of Divinity, so I've, I've done a lot of training. I would have said Paul too. How many of you know I would have been wrong? Now, Paul wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books, but he's not the largest writer of the New Testament. Luke. Luke, word for word, 27.5% of the New Testament was written by Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So God said, Greg, you cannot understand the Acts of the Holy Spirit if you don't understand Luke and you don't understand that Gospel. So for the next year, we are going to be going through the Gospel of Luke and into the book of Acts because we're going to be talking about what this means to live the life that we live within the kingdom of God. It's going to be an exciting, incredible journey. Well, who is he writing to? He writes to a guy named Theophilus, some important guy. We don't know who he is. His name means friend of God or loved by God. He addresses him. I'll tell you where he, look, I'll read it to you. Luke chapter 1. I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty, the things that you have been taught. That's good news, isn't it? 
And then he says again in Acts chapter 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a 40-day period and spoke about the kingdom of God. So what I want you to understand, the gospel of Luke is Jesus Christ coming and presenting and opening the kingdom of God to mankind. Jesus, the, the central proclamation, the central revelation of the New Testament was the Father heart of God. But the central proclamation and the central demonstration was the kingdom of God. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God than any other thing, any other subject in the Bible. And, and you need to understand what is this kingdom of God. We're going to get there in just a moment and understand really what Jesus is inviting us into. It's an incredible thing that God is saying in the gospel of Luke, Jesus comes as a model, the model citizen of the kingdom, and he demonstrates what a kingdom life should look like. And then in the book of Acts, what we're finding is it's then... I love how he says at the beginning of Acts, I wrote to you, Theophilus, about all the things that Jesus began to do. So guess who's continuing to do them in the book of Acts? Jesus, but not in the flesh, in his body. See, what he demonstrated and modeled and lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Luke, now he is going to model and demonstrate to the world through his hands and feet and lips and voices and all of you. You are the church of Jesus Christ. You are the body of Jesus. And the book of Acts, we're going to find this out. I love this. It's one of the few books in the Bible that does not have the amen at the end of it because it's still being written. You are writing the story of the kingdom of God manifesting through the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, let's pray, and we're going to find out today what this kingdom invitation is all about and begin to take the journey that's going to take us a whole year through the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Lord God Almighty, come before us. We thank you, Lord. We come before you, I should say, Lord, and humble ourselves. We want to hear from your Holy Spirit today. We need you, Lord. We are desperate for you. King, come, dwell in our midst, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, to know the hope that you've called us to, to know the glorious inheritance that is already ours in the kingdom of God, and to know the incredibly great power for us who believe, the power of the Holy Spirit the power of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Pastor Ed Allen, welcome today. God bless you. We love you, brother. So good that you're here. Amen. Bringing further anointing into our house. We are so thankful for you. Well, what's the starting point? Um, the kingdom of God. Well, here's how it starts. The amazing invitation to live in the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's the place where God rules. It's the place where God's rulership is allowed to manifest. Ultimately, the kingdom of God is really about God ruling in three specific places. 
Number one, he is to rule in the hearts and lives of believers. That's the number one place he's to rule. And so we invite Jesus Christ to come in as our Lord and our Savior. Now, many of us in the church, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, have really love the Savior part, but we, we are in a constant struggle on the Lordship part. And uh, we'll get there in a minute, but we, that's the first place he rules. Now, the second place if the kingdom of God is allowed to rule is in the church of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, uh, this place is not led by anybody but the Spirit of God and, and, the, and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, ultimately, he appoints us as servants, but our job is to actually listen to him and employ what he says to do. That's our job. And so we are, we are, but we are in mutual submission to him, to one another, and we see the kingdom of God bearing that fruit. Ultimately, the kingdom of God, so the kingdom of God came at the advent of Jesus Christ coming to the earth. The kingdom of God is coming and it has been coming for 2,000 years. It's still manifesting. And the kingdom of God will come. One day the fullness of the kingdom will come. And that's when God will rule the universe. He will rule the earth. Amen? Yes. Have anybody else figured out that God is not fully ruling the earth yet? <laughs> okay, just so you know. In case you were frustrated thinking he's a really lousy manager, he's not. Uh, it's just the fullness of the kingdom, the manifestation of the kingdom. The fullness has not yet arrived on planet earth, and yet it's coming. So we live in an ever-present, yet fully, not fully manifested kingdom. It's still burgeoning, it's still growing, it's still becoming. We're part of it. It's super exciting. We've been invited into this place. Hallelujah. So Jesus invites us in. By the way... This is going to get a little bit uncomfortable, so just get ready for it. Um, do you know when you ask Jesus to come in as Savior, He wants to also to be Lord, correct? But the level of the amount of the kingdom of God, by the way, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The level that you gain in the kingdom is the level at which you release your life and say, God, you are Lord of this area. How many of you know this is the whole and the entirety of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? That Greg Fraser is constantly in a battle between two kingdoms. Okay, we'll get there. Just hang in there. Just stay with me. Don't, don't leave. You're going to miss some exciting things if you leave. It's not good. The kingdom of God, guys, listen to me. The kingdom of God was the entire focus of the Jewish religion. They were focused on the, seeing the kingdom of God come. By the way, P.S., the gospel is not that your sins are forgiven. The gospel, Jesus, according to Jesus, is repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. The gospel is the kingdom. Amen? Now, part of that is the forgiveness of sins. But the wholeness of it is the rulership of Christ. Where is he allowed to rule? And so the Jewish people were waiting and waiting, generations waiting for the coming kingdom. Let me read you just one scripture of many I could read throughout the Old Testament. This is what the promise of the kingdom is. It says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Okay, first part of the kingdom invitation is this, you guys. God is coming to dwell with his people. Do we understand what that means? That 
the entirety of the Old Testament system was trying to get this God, trying to understand and have a relationship with him. And yet God is saying, now I'm going to come down. I'm going to dwell with my people. But not am I only going to dwell with my people. I'm also going to forgive the thing that they think keeps them from coming to me, which is their sin. Because in the whole Old Testament, they built this religious system trying to deal with the sin issues in their life, trying to deal with their brokenness, trying to deal with the things. And I tell you, it left them feeling falling short. That's why the book of Hebrews talks about day after day, the priests stand and perform their religious duties, which they offer sacrifices for sin, which can never take away sin. There's no chairs in the temple. There's no chairs in the Old Testament temple. Why? It was symbolic that the priest's work was never finished. They had to constantly, constantly keep offering sacrifices for sin until one day there's one chair in the entire temple in the Old Testament. It's a chair called the mercy seat. And it's behind a the holy of holies and you remember that's the ark of the covenant and the two angels are forward swept and in between them is the mercy seat and that's the place where God sits when the work is finished Whoo! now guess what when Jesus died remember they looked into the tomb what did they see two angels with their wings swept forward and the, the space in the middle where Jesus's body was why are you looking for the living amongst the dead He's not here. The work is finished. Sin has been removed. This thing, guys, I don't think we know what this would have been. The fear, the, the, the darkness, the brokenness, the guilt, the judgment, the condemnation, the hopelessness, and ultimately death. All throughout the Old Testament, people were longing for the coming of the kingdom of God. And you have it. You have it. Jesus has finished it all, and he said it is done. Whoo! Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? The work is done. Now we get to live in the benefit of the kingdom of God. This is the call of God. This is the plan of God. This is what God is wanting. And I love it. I love it. We were doing devotions at church on Wednesday morning. By the way, you can come to prayer Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. We have prayer every morning. And uh, I love we were reading Luke because I got to get ahead of my sermon. So here we go. We're reading Luke. And so it says this. Zechariah's reading and he says, or speaking, and he says, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear. Do you know how beautiful it is that you can serve God without fear? Because he finished the work. He finished the work. Thank you, Jesus. Our best religious efforts fall short. Never make its dent in sin, but there's a new kingdom has come. I love this. Bill Bright wrote, or John Bright wrote this book called uh, The Kingdom of God. Listen to this quote. I hope it sinks in as it hits me. The warming of God is uttered each day with unmistakable clarity that our best is not good enough, that we must find some higher righteousness, some higher citizenship, or perish. History is each day showing us the bankruptcy of the earthly state that we may be driven to seek redemption in some higher quarter. Without saying a word, history is pointing to the kingdom of God and telling us that it's more than high time. Hallelujah. 
the best religious systems in the world, church, fail. Our self-centeredness fails. If we try to be self-righteous, we fail. If we live in selfishness, we fail. See, we're, we're constantly in this fight, this battle of understanding we are living at a time between two incredible kingdoms. They're powerful kingdoms and you need to get it, but Jesus invites us to come into the kingdom of God. See, but here's the second thing you need to understand about the kingdom of God. The amazing challenge of living in the kingdom of God. The Bible says he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And I want you to understand this, church, that you need to grasp that there are two kingdoms constantly pulling and vying for your attention. This is how it works. One kingdom says, I promise you life and life abundant, but you have to die to self to get that life. The other kingdom says, no, 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 keep living for self, and you're going to have a great and easy life, and it promises, but it never delivers. You following me? So we live in this tension between two kingdoms, church. It's just the reality. And I'm going to tell you, I need you to hear me. I, I plead with you and I beg you as your pastor, because I'm preaching to myself right now, as I'm living in this tension between the two kingdoms, it's not an option. You see, my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. I made a great exchange. I said, Lord, all of my brokenness and unrighteousness for all of your wholeness and righteousness, please, thank you very much. And he said, okay, Greg, now we're gonna go on a journey where we're gonna set you free from all the brokenness from your old life. How many of you know that takes the rest of your life? Okay, just in case you didn't know that when you signed up, it's tough, okay, guys? He's offering us this incredible abundant life, and I want you to understand, um, now forgive me, I'm not quoting these as prophets, but I, I just want you to know, I think ACDC and Led Zeppelin had it right all along. <laughs> you see, ACDC said there's a highway to hell, but Led Zeppelin said there's only a stairway to heaven. <laughs> right? All the metalheads are like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus put it a little differently. He said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And few find it. Amen? Few find it. You see, it's interesting. We live in the kingdom, the tension of two kingdoms. Greg Fraser lives in those tension every day. And if COVID has not revealed that to you, it should. Because you have a choice which kingdom you're going to live in. And I'm going to tell you, and forgive me, just let this sink in and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Um, are you living in fear? Because that's not the kingdom of God. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. So, so many people today are living in fear, and I get it. There's lots to be afraid of. I understand it. I live in that tension too. I look at the economy. For the love of God, we bought three oranges yesterday, and it was $6. I'm like, what is going on? I said, Betty, forget oranges. We're never eating oranges again. Suck on a lemon. They're way cheaper. <laughs> Get your vitamin C in a different way. No, no. You understand the fear tries to grip you. Are you following me? The fear tries to grip you. But you say, Lord, you, you have the cattle on a thousand hills. 
God, we, we have a groceries in abundance that God, you're bringing in and, and you're, you're causing great, incredible things to happen. And we're just starting. Are you following what I'm saying? The kingdom of God has no lack, no shortage. Hallelujah. And so, you know, maybe you're living in fury. Now, now check this out. Follow me because I get it. I do that sometimes too. And anger over the state of the world. But is that really the kingdom of God? But I'm really ticked off. I get it. (laughs) How many of you know when you see and know there's a better way and you watch people go the other way, it ticks you off? How many have kids? (laughs) If you have kids, this will all make sense. You'll be like, Selah, preach it, Pastor. I understand now. Just don't do that, and they do it. It's like, (laughs) there's, I remember my nephew Jordan, you know, don't touch the stove. You remember those old coal stoves? What does he do? It's shiny, bright. Ah! Now, the good news is he's a doctor now, so he actually made it. He made it through. He was not damaged too badly from that. But do you understand? We just, we need, we need to go on a journey together. You following me? Now, I understand it's really scary right now, but see the perspective from the kingdom. I understand it's okay to be angry about unrighteousness, but your response has to be based in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdoms of this world. You can have joy and peace in the midst of being ticked right off. But if you're trying to attack it from within the kingdom of the world, you're going to be pulled down underneath with it. Okay, thanks, Pastor. Here we go. See, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to give you a warning right now, and I love you, and I have to. This is not an option. Anything that can be shaken is being shaken right now, but the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. We may think that applies to everybody else but ourselves. But God's like, I'm going to shake, shake, shake and bake you until you understand you cannot cling to the kingdoms of this world. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't work to tell God you're just not going to submit to him. (laughs) Good luck. Ask Jacob. There's a guy in the Bible that tried to control his whole world and everybody around him, and it all blew apart. And then God came, and he tried to wrestle with God. And the only thing he could come to the realization of was this. I will not let you go until you bless me, God. How many of you know the only thing you can hang on to is God in the midst of the crumbling kingdoms of the world? Okay, okay, it's, it's getting better. Just hang in there. Oh my goodness, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to, there's only one king in this kingdom and you're not him. You're like, I'm a queen. Well, okay, but still applies. (laughs) Just so you know. I I think the goal of the kingdom is not about your comfort and happiness. It's about you becoming more Christ-like. G.K. Chesterton said it a different way, which I hate. I hate this quote, but I I just have to share it with you because I read it, and I want to not lose this piece of information. So here we go. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Whoo! 
Jesus. <laughs> you know, we, and rightfully so, I, I'm a good Albertan boy. Boy, I like being in Alberta. I love prosperity and the blessing of the Lord of being an Alberta boy. I really do. And, uh, you know, my way of life may never be the same with what's happening in the world right now. But am I going to trust God? My kids are not maybe going to experience the blessing that I experienced by growing up in Alberta the same way. But boy, do I want them to live in the kingdom of God because that's the most important thing, amen? No, don't go. It gets better. Seriously. No, I just said they got to go. It's okay. I just said, like, this guy, I don't know who this guy is. Okay. Okay, are we okay? Everybody okay with me? It's hard. It's hard. But here's the good news. It goes back to the very first part of the news that I told you. The amazing king does life with us in the midst of his kingdom. Throughout the process of Christ being formed in you, God is walking with you. He's not waiting on the other side. God's address is your present reality. It's not when you get through whatever you're going through. He is literally with you. You are yoked to him. <laughs> you're connected to him. And so this is very, very important for you to grasp if you're going to walk in the kingdom of God because throughout the process of my life, being the life of Christ being formed in me, I end up at times grasping back at the kingdom of the world and I forget and I try to find life in a thing that is, can only produce death within me. So here I am. I'm called to be a sojourner and the word sojourn means a temporary stay. We're not built for this place. We're built for a better place. And I've got to live as a sojourner. And the Bible celebrates this and, and gives us so many pictures of this. And I'm going to read a couple of them to you here. Hebrews 11 says this, By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. You ever feel about that? When you think about like heaven and eternity and... When he left, he had no idea where he was going, but by an act of faith he, in the country promised him, he lived as a stranger camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same thing, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on the unseen city with real and eternal foundation, the city designed and built by God. Church, listen, sojourners live in tents, and they live in tents because they're always moving toward the kingdom. They're moving toward the kingdom of God. And it's a slow pl plotting. It's a slow plotting. There is stumbling. And though the righteous man stumbles seven times, the Lord will help him up each time. You're in attention, church. And, and, and we're frustrated. We're frustrated. And, we're, and I get your frustrations, but it's time to turn your frustrations toward the kingdom of heaven. And understand you're but living in a tent and you think, well, I don't know if I like that analogy. Well, 2 Corinthians says, forget about living in a tent. You are a tent. Our bodies are like tents that we live in here on earth. But when these tents are destroyed, we know that God will give us each a place to live. Amen? 
we're hanging on to this body, thinking I got to do, and I get it, you should treat it well, treat the temple well, I get it, I understand, less Doritos, I get it, God, I'm hearing you, amen, but understand one day this tent's going to fold up, and my real eternal home and eternal body will be given to me. You know, the, the Jewish people celebrate this. During Thanksgiving, they have a thing called the Feast of, or the Tabernacle of Booths, or the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of the Tabernacle. Sukkot is the word, I think. And, and, and what, they're, what it's doing is they're celebrating the fact that they journeyed from, from Egypt, which represents the world, to the Promised Land, which represents the Kingdom of God, and God says every year you're to take seven days and you're to build tents and you're to live in them for seven days and have a party for seven days. Pretty cool, eh? And so they invite their, their friends and they invite people over to feast and to eat and to celebrate during our Thanksgiving. If you see a Jewish person say, you know, happy feast of booths. How did you know? I heard it at my church. You got, and they invite, guess what they do? They talk about their journey in life as sojourners longing for the time when they're going to come to the final resting place in the kingdom of heaven. Is that not a picture of what the life of the believer should be? See, God tell that to them so they could remind themselves and celebrate the fact and remember, you're not built for this planet. You're built for one that's coming. And so hold all things lightly. I love this. So where does Greg Fraser pitch his tent? <laughs> well, if he's smart, he's like Abraham. Here we go. Genesis 12, 8. From there he, Abraham, went on toward the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel in the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called in the name of the Lord. He's traveling toward this place called Bethel, and he pitches his tent, and he keeps Bethel on the west of him, and, uh, and, he, and he keeps Ai on the east. Now, Bethel is where you want to be, man. Bethel is good stuff, you guys. Bethel is the house of God, the house of habitation, the house of his glory and provision, the house where the kingdom has been unveiled. The kingdom is always present, but when it gets unveiled, how many you know things get exciting? Hallelujah. So we all love Bethel. We're moving toward Bethel. We're like Abraham. He was moving toward Bethel. But you know, he had to pitch his tent somewhere. And God says he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Now Ai, this is interesting. It means a place of ruin, broken pieces, a heap of ruin, a place of brokenness and heartache. Do you understand, church? Please hear me. You live in the tension of two kingdoms. You live in the tension of the kingdom of God, Bethel, the house of the Lord, and the place of ruin. And you live with God in that place. And if you don't understand that, discipleship will be the most frustrating thing in the world because it's all not a bed of roses sometimes. Sometimes this is a hard life. Sometimes you go through difficult things. Sometimes you're like, God, where are you? And he's saying, will you keep yourself pointed toward Bethel, but understand you live in the tension of two kingdoms as you are moving further and further toward Bethel. You're a sojourner. You're plodding day after day, point after point, 
Anybody else feel this tension in their life? <laughs> good, I'm not alone. I'm just going to preach to me in case I am. I don't care. It's all good. You're living in the tension of a kingdom that's already come but is still coming. The fullness is yet to arrive. The band's going to return now. We've been given an amazing invitation, church. Amazing invitation. You've been invited to do life with God in his kingdom. This is what the whole Old Testament believers waited for. It's now here. You and I have that. It's frustrating sometimes because we're in the tension of these two, two kingdoms. And God's like, won't you give up? Will you lay down your trust in that kingdom? And will you throw your trust into my kingdom? Because what in the kingdom of God, here's the thing. This is a whole other sermon. When you trade with God, you always trade up. It looks like a loss, but in the end, it's only gain. Amen? And the beautiful thing as you travel on this road is that God has chosen to do this. It's the craziest thing in the world. God has come and dwelt in your heart. And he says, I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. As you sojourn through this life, you are not alone. And when you stumble, I'm going to be there to pick you up. And when your eyes turn back to AI, thinking that's where your hope is, I'm going to grab your cheek and remind you, Bethel is where we're heading. Amen? This is where we're going for the next year. We're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn about keys of the kingdom, things like faith. We're going to learn about submission, biblical submission, which is the most beautiful word in the world. Hallelujah. We're going to learn some great things.